The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. My name is Ed DeZego. I'm uh, a child of Jesus by his grace. While I wait for him, he has me lead pastor at Boulder Mountain Community Church in Mesa, Arizona, and professor of New Testament for Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary. Those of you who know me, you honor Mary and me. Thank you. Those of you who don't, consider yourself blessed <laughs> to this point in time. <laughs> ah, The Christian life. That's what we're here to talk about this weekend, the Christian life. It's messier than I thought. I thought that when I gave my heart to Jesus at that rock festival a million years ago, that, you know, Jesus sort of would just sweep the floor, roll out the carpet, and pave the highway. I didn't know what I was getting into. What about you? Any part of your life been a little messy? Even as a Christian, you can answer. It's just an ABF. Some of you know what I just said. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a messy thing. I didn't know. I didn't know. First of all, I didn't know I got into a war. It wasn't even my war. I just sort of got born again, and next thing you know, there's a fight going on, inside, outside, all around. Wow, Christian life. Well, we're here to talk about it. Tonight, we're going to talk about the mess part. I call it the perfect mess. If you have the little notebook thing, the little folder that looks sort of like this, you can follow along and see how long I still have. Um, That's what I do when I have to hear guys speak. It's like, where is he? When will he get done? Come on. And uh, follow along, if you would. Uh, there, there is a notebook that has it all written out, so don't worry about taking notes. Just get the notebook. Uh, it doesn't... Uh, all the proceeds are part of the church here. They've graciously invited me, and uh, we're here to talk about the Lord. That's all. Got no fancy illustrations, got no stories to tell. Just let's talk about Jesus. It's a mess. I think the Christian life, we enter into a mess that we weren't expecting. And there's reasons for that mess. We want to walk with Jesus. Those of us who trust Christ, we want to walk with Jesus. We want to have a relationship with God where we know him, he knows us. That's what Jesus defined as eternal life, isn't it? John 17, verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that you would know you, Heavenly Father, and the Son that you've sent. That's eternal life. It's fellowship with God. In 1 John chapter 1, John starts his letter by saying, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. And you think, this is so cool. God knows me. I know him. And we're just going to waltz down the aisle of life together. Not. There's a mess. 
And you know, I'm going to draw some pictures today, and the mess starts with a war. And if you, I hope you can see this, but I'm going to just draw a box. Joe, this won't fall on me, will it? I, I built one of these at my church, and it fell on me. <laughs> Honestly, it did. It cracked right down the middle. But he has sandbags here. There's a war. This is the realm of this age, this world. And who's the prince in the power of the air? Jesus identified him in John 8, 44. He says to the Pharisees, You're of your father, the devil, and he is a murderer and a liar. So, John 8, 44. Can you see that a little bit back there? I'll try to write. It's a box or a rectangle. John 8, 44. A liar, a murderer. Sound like any planet you know? All of a sudden, we're born again, and we're in this middle of this fight that we didn't even know was going on. And there's this prince in the power of the air, the god of this age. The whole world, it says in 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He had the authority to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth if Jesus would just kneel down and worship him. Jesus never said, you don't have that authority. He just said, you just worship the Lord God and him only do you serve. A liar and the murderer. Powerful angel. Ezekiel 28 says he was the most beautiful creature God had made and he walked in Eden till pride was in his heart and he said, I'm going to make my throne higher than God's. And God let him try. He's still running this age. He's still in charge of planet Earth. He has the forces behind the governments. He has the forces behind the princes of the people. He has minions that are scattered across the globe on assignments to bring sickness, to bring skepticism, to bring false religions, to do every sort of thing that could get us deluded and blinded and distracted from worshiping the true and living God. I didn't know I was walking into that. I just thought I was a hippie who got saved. So here's this whole realm of evil supernaturalism. Paul said, if anyone is not believing, it's because the God of this age is blinding their minds and preventing them from believing the gospel. Wow, where did he come from? Then you discover that in his strategy, he's creating and he's a force behind what we call society or culture or the world. I'm going to draw another box. Society. 
you'll notice some S's. Satan, society. Society, we call it the world. The world system. John said in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, he says, Love not the world, neither are things in the world, because in the world is the what? Lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. We look around at our culture, pick any culture. We look around and we discover that the liar and the murderer has created whole societies that are anti-God. Do I really need to preach about that here? You haven't, have you been online lately? Pick an ism. It's not God-oriented. I didn't know I was getting into that. I didn't even know I was already in that. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't want that. Did you want that? Did you ask for that? And in this society, you discover that I discovered that the family I grew up in, they were a part of this. I didn't know they were a part of that. I thought it was just mom and dad and my brother and my sister. I didn't know they were part of that. And then my friends down the street, you can't see it, but it says friends. I didn't know they were a part of that. Right? Family, friends. And I went to school. Did any of you go to school? I didn't know the school I went to was part of that. How about, did you ever grow up in a place? <laughs> like, like a location? Ohio. I was born in the Bronx, grew up in Miami. It's a location. I didn't know the area I lived in was part of that. I didn't know the entertainment that I liked was part of that. Did you, before you were a Christian? No. You can answer. How many of these things affected the way you thought? How many of these things affected the things you liked? How many things affected the way you didn't like things? Oh, right? You've got this liar and a murderer running this entire show behind the scenes, caring less if he gets credit for it, just as long as he can undermine everything God planned to do. And we've got this society created by ages of people, generations of people that it's continually emerging and evolving and it's got families in it and friends in it and schools in it and locations and entertainments and geographies and climates and we're all products of this and we're thinking a certain way and we're, we're, we don't even know we're part of this thing. And then we get saved. 
and the blinders come off and we go, dude, <laughs> I had other words, <laughs> but this isn't Mesa. <laughs> dude, where did this come from? I don't want this. But wait, there's even more. That's me. Yeah. I discovered something else when I got saved. There was stuff about me, part of the isms created by the master liar, filtered through the culture, my family, my friends, my schools, my entertainment matrix, all the stuff. But when I was born, according to Psalm 51, it says that in sin I was conceived. That doesn't mean my mother was sinning when in marriage my mom and dad conceived me. It just means that even in my mother, before I really knew I was thinking about anything, I was already in sin. In sin, my mother conceived me. David said that, Psalm 51. And there was something about me that was contrary to God from the get-go, before I even opened my eyes, before I even saw the nursery up there in the Bronx, before I even got out of the crib, there was something about me that was part of all of this and at home with it all. And I didn't know that. And I didn't want that. Didn't ask for it. Like one of my favorite poets says, I was born here against my will. I have a choice. I didn't pick my family. I didn't pick the Bronx. Okay, you know, God, you're about to make me, and uh, I'd really like to grow up in the Bronx. How about it? Then I'd like to move to North Miami. Okay? Deal? Didn't ask for it. And you know, as far as the dad, I want him to be rich, would you? Truck driver? Are you kidding me? What kind of... Older brother? No, I want to be the... Right? Didn't ask for this. Didn't ask for this. Didn't even know this. What is sin? Self-determination. Just self-determination. It's contrary to God. I determine my own life. Now, we can get really fancy and theological with the definition of sin... But I discovered something about sin. That sin directs our inner appetites away from the spiritual and towards the physical and earthy. According to Romans chapter 3 verse 11. Sin directs our intellect away from a trust in God and in God's testimony. And toward a reliance upon our own self and our own reasoning. You know what Adam did in the garden? He trusted himself. Sin does that. 
Sin redirects our will, our choice mechanism, toward a self-centered and a self-reliant choice that is independent from God, according to John chapter 3, verse 19, and other passages. Sin impacts my emotions in such a way that in conjunction with our self-centered appetites and our self-centered mindset and our daily selfish choice orientation, we feel only about ourselves. So what sin was doing to me as a one-year-old, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and I can remember being three, and I can really look back and say, you know what, it was doing that. And then sin impact has an impact over all the faculties of each human directing our moral compasses so that we choose wickedness rather than righteousness. We like the way it feels. We like what it does. And we like how it authenticates ourselves. And that's what we choose. And it doesn't matter what God would tell us. We just do it. And we find out what we can get away with. And in my house, it was some things. And in my house, it was not other things. You couldn't get away with lying, but you could steal And if I played my cards right, I could get off of putting, doing my chores for a couple of weeks. Because it felt good not to trim the hedge and mow the yard. As soon as my dad wanted it done. Then there's sin, sin's impact over our faculties that estranges us. Here's the, here's, here's the weird part. You think sin is done with just making my emotions self-centered and making my appetite self-centered? And you think sin is done by making me alienated from God? Do you think sin is done with that? You know what sin actually does? It alienates me from me. By the time I was 14, I didn't even like myself anymore. How many of you sense that about our lives? I didn't ask for that. Deep down inside, I loved my own flesh. Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 5. Every man loves and cherishes and nourishes his own flesh. But emotionally and psychologically and oriented to others, I didn't even like myself anymore. And I argued with myself and I pouted with myself and I pitied myself and I was angry with myself. Do you sound familiar to anybody? Or am I the only one that this happened to? But I didn't know that because my friends were like that. And I didn't know that because my dad was like that. My mom was like that. And my brother was like that. And my teachers were like that. And we all shared the same pity and the same anger and the same angst about everything. And if we didn't, we didn't choose them as friends. We picked other ones that shared our angst. Then you get saved. And you think, oh, good, it's all going to change. Sin's impact over our life with God. We're born physically, stillborn spiritually. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your transgressions. I don't want to be dead. Wait a minute. Hey, I didn't ask for this. Tough. 
if I sound irreverent, read the Psalms sometimes. They were very honest with God. Sin, when I got saved, didn't go away. Wait, you know what? If I had, if this was my world, at least when you turn your life over to God, I'd take that stuff away. I mean, who's doing the thinking around here? Does that sound like spiritual life yet? Sin remains a pervasive force within every human being. It's not embedded in my newborn spirit. It's embedded in my flesh. Paul said that. Though the body is dead because of sin, he says, that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He says, I am fleshly, sold into the bondage of sin. Flesh and sin are two separate things, but sin is embedded in my flesh. Flesh isn't sinful all by itself. Remember, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was without sin, but he was still flesh. But flesh is humanness, and humanness is weak and beggarly. And when sin gets a hold of it, it's a force and a power so great that our flesh can't withstand it. Like Jesus said to the disciples in the garden, he says, I know you fell asleep. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I didn't ask for that. I didn't want any of that. I wish it was different. Sin remains a pervasive force with every human being. And sin, through our own unique makeup, and over the course of our lives, develops dispositions, perceptions, behavioral patterns that become part of us and our personalities. And we're stamped with this murderer and this society in the place where we grew up. We're stamped by sin and all of this effect uniquely like no other person in this room. There isn't one of us alike, even though we, still, we all share the same malady called sin. And being born again didn't take it away. I didn't know that was happening to me. I thought when I got saved, it would be really cool. I thought I would be cool by now. You know, as I looked down the corridor of time and said, when I grow up to be about 30 or so, I'm going to be spiritual. I'm going to walk with Jesus. And everybody's going to say, look at him, he walks with Jesus. And I going, wouldn't that be cool? I didn't know it was this messy. I didn't know Satan, society, and sin, and my weakness in the flesh, and all those flesh patterns. You know what I mean by flesh patterns? Let me tell you a few of them. Introspection, self-pity, withdrawal, pride in accomplishments, perfectionism, recognition, Overeating alcohol, anxiousness, domineering, 
insensitive, hostile, critical, self-righteous, self-deprecating, intense, smothering, mothering. Sound like any Christians? (laughs) Just half of those describe me. Don't tell my church. They almost think I'm mature. You thought I was going to say perfect. No. No, no, no. They almost think I'm a mature Christian. Don't tell them. When I go home, (laughs) I face these sometimes in the mirror. Pastor Tim, you ever face these things? Picking on you. This is an ABF. I can do that. Yes, you do. You ever get alone with Jesus and wonder why you're even here? Wonder if you're going to make it the next day? The Christian life, a lifestyle in relationship with God through his Son, by the Spirit, which consciously develops our character and devotion to please and glorify God. That's all I wanted when I got saved. I just wanted to walk with Jesus, and I wanted to feel him walking with me, and I wanted to please him, right? If you're here tonight, that's probably you. Why is it so messy? There's at least three reasons. There's a murderer and a liar who's running society And we were born in it. And what Adam did back in the garden, we inherited. And it's deadly, it's lively, it's powerful. Like an undertow at a beach. You can't swim against it. You can't win against it. Paul said, apart from Christ, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And I cry out, Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from the body of this death? Would somebody make sense out of that? I didn't want to have an inferiority complex. I didn't want to think I was no good. I didn't want to think I couldn't do anything right. I didn't want to think that I couldn't please anybody. I didn't want to be loved conditionally, have to perform for your affection. I didn't want any of that. I just want to walk with Jesus. Why can't I just walk with Jesus? (sighs) Got more picture to draw. Triangle. Some of you know me when I draw a triangle. That's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the best I can do. He's invisible. It's hard to draw invisible things. God. It's hard to draw visible things. Right, Pastor Craig? (laughs) Is it making sense so far? It's a bad picture, though. It's, It's a nasty picture. See, point two and point three is tomorrow. This is the mess. Tonight is the perfect mess, and I'm going to tell you why it's perfect. Here's God. That's the moment of creation. 
the foundation of the world, as we say in Ephesians. Right? You like that? Foundation of the world. There it is. There's God. Before the foundation of the world, God existed timelessly. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in eternal fellowship. We got big theological terms for that, and I won't bore you with them. They're not important. But we learn from the Bible that God is great. We mean by his greatness from the Psalms, at least Psalm 45, verse 3, that his greatness is infinite. Infinite doesn't have any boundaries. You can imagine a line as far as you can imagine a line in infinite. Infinity goes on further than that line. You can stretch it out in every direction, up, down, sideways, backwards, and forwards, and infinity goes beyond that. You can put dots up to the end of the world and count the grains of sand, count the stars, and God, all of that is contained inside God. He's infinite in every way. Spatially, he's infinite. We call that omnipresence. Powerfully, he's infinite. We call that omnipotence. Intellectually, he's infinite. We call that omniscience, right? We know all those big words. That's God. He's great. We just sang it. How great is our God? And we don't even know because our language is finite. Our understanding of language is finite. But God tells us in our language that you can't put any boundaries on him. He's got no boundaries. He's got nobody to answer to. He's infinitely Great, he's infinitely good, and he's infinitely free. He can do whatever he wants. And Psalm 115, verse 3 says that our God is in the heavens, and he does whatsoever he pleases. That's our God. You agree? Now let me ask you a question. How much does God know? Everything? He knows everything? Does he know what will happen tomorrow? Does he know what will happen the next day? Does he know what would have happened tomorrow had you not come here tonight? Because that changes a lot. Does he know what would have happened? Does he know what would have happened if that car that skidded behind you had actually hit you and killed you? And what the world would be like without you? Does he know? Yeah, you're right. So what? <laughs> no. <laughs> Jesus said that. In Matthew 12, the cities of Capernaum, Bethsaida, he said, you know, if I had done the miracles in Bethsaida and Capernaum, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented and they would still be here today as witnesses against you. Jesus wasn't guessing. He knew. He knew a counterfactual world, we call that in theology. He knew a world that never existed, never will exist, but he knew it as clearly as if it had happened because God knows everything. And how many choices did he have to pick from when it came to creating the world that exists? How many choices did he have? Infinite number of choices if there is an infinite number. Only God's infinite. So he had a lot of choices. Did he have every choice possible? 
every choice known to God, he could have chosen a different world. You agree? And who did he ask about choosing this one? Nobody. He's free. He does whatsoever he pleases. You heard that verse, Psalm 115, verse 3. Look it up. He does whatsoever he pleases. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, that he's working all things according to the counsel of your will. <laughs> no. Your prayers? No. He does everything. He is working everything according to the counsel of his will. Everything. So let's go back to God. Out of all possible worlds, this is the one he picked. How much did he know about the world he picked? Did he know my parents would meet and fall in love? Actually, he created the world in which they would. So he knew I was coming. <laughs> he went, uh-oh. <laughs> Gadzooks. I told the son not to do this one. <laughs> But the Holy Spirit voted and it was two to one. No, no, it wasn't like that. <laughs> No, you see where I'm going with this, don't you? This is a mess. We were born into it. We were born as part of it. But who planned the mess? Who planned the mess? Come on. God. You know one thing you can't say to God? You can never say this to God. Surprise! You know why? He already knows. He already planned it. When Satan was created as the most beautiful archangel, highest of the highest angels, God created him knowing the beauty would make him fall. And that Satan would lie and murder and perpetrate lies and murder, beginning in the garden and ever since, creating a mess out of Eden. And a mess out of this planet. Anybody disagree that it's a mess? Preaching to the choir. And a mess out of the universe. God planned this angel and a third of the other to fall and perpetrate crime and hideous death and mayhem and lies and blindness and deception. Or did not, or, or, or was God taken by surprise when Satan fell? No? Okay, you're with me. Some of you are good Calvinists. I like that. I'm no party, by the way. I'm an independent. And how about all the cultures? Did any of them take God by surprise? Babylon, Assyria, Rome, the Bronx. <laughs> the New York Yankees. None of the societies, none of the cultures, none of the false religions, None of the murder, none of the mayhem, none of the cults, none of the demonic activity. 
None of the demonic activity. None of the disease. None of the disasters. None of anything ever said, surprise. And God went, oh, I wasn't counting on that. He was, in the counsel of his will, planned this world. That's why I call this, let me ask you this, does God do anything imperfectly? It says all his works are done in righteousness. Psalms, again. I think 148, somewhere around verse 6 or 7. All his works are done in righteousness. Did he plan this? Ooh, oh, let me try that again. Did he plan this? Is this going according to the counsel of his will, or is he surprised? Thank you, Hugh. Good job. Going to give you a star in the gray book. Counsel of his will. And when I was born dead in sin, was God disappointed like oh, another one dead in sin? Doggone it. What am I going to do now? No. This is a mess. But if I understand my God, if I'm going to trust my God, this is a perfect mess. And my life that I was born into and my life that I was born again into is not a mistake. I am not a mistake no matter what my father told me when I was little. Do you understand that? Do you believe that? You can't believe it because of you. You have to believe it because of our Heavenly Father. He doesn't make mistakes. And you're here. And you're not here by mistake. And you were born not by mistake. And your life turned out the way it is not by mistake. And there's so much of our lives that we had no choice in the matter. And those weren't mistakes. Including the sin that he left with you. Including those flesh patterns that are killing some of you. They're not mistakes. It's a mess. We didn't ask for it. We don't want it anymore and killing some of us. But it's not a mistake. And Jesus came to clean up the mess. He's the only way to clean the mess. And if you don't trust in Christ, your life is going to remain the fleshly mess that Satan wants it to be and will die in sin and will perish forever. You don't want that. I can't remake the world. I can't convince God to start over again. But he did start over, and his name is Jesus. Do you believe that? Oh, my brothers and sisters, I'm not a mistake. And Jesus came to clean up the mess. Oh, sorry about yelling. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you heard me. I didn't want Pastor Craig to fall asleep. <laughs> I'm Italian. I yell. It's the only way we could get hurt in our house. <laughs> I wasn't yelling at you. Please, I'm not angry. Life is a mess. God didn't take away our sins, just the guilt of it and the condemnation that's due because of it. 
the undertow is still there. Our flesh still can't handle it. But tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the perfect man. This is the perfect mess. We're going to talk about the perfect man, the last Adam, who's God's reset button, who has come in the sufficiency of God Almighty and in the perfection of a sinless human being who has come as the Father's means to clean up the mess that Satan, society, and sin thought it was doing. You know what I've discovered about Satan? (laughs) I think he's discovered it by now too. Everything he's ever done, God planned on. Everything culture has ever done to you, God counted on. And everything sin could possibly do to you, God knows. Because the perfect mess is the perfect stage upon which the grace and mercy of God could come and clean house to the glory of God. Adam and Eve in the garden was not God's end game. A new heaven and a new earth in which dwells righteousness with a new humanity created, recreated in the likeness of the unique son, Jesus. That's God's plan. And we're right smack dab in the middle of it and it's going just fine. I believe that. Not because of what I see. Not even because of what I feel. Because of what God has said in his word about himself and about what he's been up to since the dawn of time. It's a perfect mess creating the perfect stage for the perfect grace of God. And you know what? Where sin abounds, you know Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace does much more. It's super abounds. And we have a few minutes left. Any questions? (laughs) So do I. (laughs) You feel better? You know what? You're not a mistake, brother. Now you can abuse that privilege and go, oh good, I can be any do anything I want. Go ahead. You'll pay for it. Not with God. If you're a Christian, there's no condemnation. But you'll pay for it. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But any other questions? Or comments? Was I unclear about something? Pretty simple. Any other any questions though? We have a few minutes. Get your money's worth. <laughs> Craig, any comments? Pastor? Did I yell too much? Why did God create such a mess? 
Here's the answer I have uh, without writing a second dissertation, which I don't want to do. The deeper the mess, the more messy the mess, the greater the glory of God when he cleans it up. It had to be this bad in order for God to show himself that good. It's going to get worse. He said, that's why it's going the way it is right now. If I read my Bible correctly, it's going to get worse. But you know what? God's grace is greater than all my sin. That's a, I know that's only a hymn. Go back to Romans 5. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And remember the verse, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know how that verse ends? Praise be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Craig? Yes. Societally, globally, but personally. Sometimes it has to get really bad. I have an old country saying, you have to be flat on your back before you can look up. conference like this is to say, don't wait till that happens. How do you weave man's free will into this picture? I'm going to give an answer some of you won't like, but this is my answer. And you can tweak, you don't, who don't like this, you can tweak it any way you want because I'm not here to promote a doctrinal system. How do you weave man's free will into that? When did God know everything and every ramification of everything and every choice that everybody would make? When did he know? Before, the found, before he created the first thing. So when he picked this world, how many choices did he pick? All of them. Every choice that everybody would ever make and every choice that they would never make was picked by God because those choices would result in other results and other results and other results that would work God's perfect plan. So the future is certain because God decreed it and we're making it happen. So is Satan. Bummer for him. <laughs> I read the end of the book. And glory to God. So man's free will, our free choices, God above time, super time, infinite to time, knew every choice and every ramification of every choice before he picked this world. And so our choices, while free in our time and space, were always known to God, even choices in worlds that were never created, such as Sodom and Gomorrah repenting, right? They never got a chance to. Jesus never performed miracles. They had lot. Lots of luck. <laughs> Apparently that wasn't a lot. Yeah, it was. Um, any other questions? Yes. Hi, Harold. <laughs> no, you know, God can't 
tempt with evil. He doesn't create evil, but he needed evil. And so why not create a being that would freely be evil in order to accomplish God's plan? When Satan was created, was he evil? No. See, God's off the hook. Seriously. I know that won't satisfy some of you deep thinkers, but you're trapped if it doesn't. God doesn't do evil, but he, he created a world in which there would be evil so that he could show the depths, the depths of the glory of his mercy and his grace. Let's go back to where I started. I got saved. I didn't know this was going on. I didn't ask for it. That doesn't change it. It's here. You're in the middle of it. The question we have to ask ourselves, do we want God's remedy for the mess? Not just in the world, but in our own hearts. We have 59 seconds. Any other questions? <laughs> Ma'am. Yes. When, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you understand why you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Because here they are. They've been raised here as part of this, which is just really the scheme of a liar and a murderer. Do you wonder why their minds are blinded? That it's not what? You know, how do you, how do you, how do you tell them it's not the easy road? You know, I don't emphasize whether it's easy or hard, I try to tell them it's simple. It's Jesus. Plus nothing, no one. Minus nothing, no one. In him is grace and truth. And of his fullness, we have received. We are complete in him. And in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. I emphasize the simplicity. They'll find out once their eyes are open, like all of you found out, I need Jesus to clean up the mess. Yes. It's Christ. Pastor Craig, it's Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. And you're right. In him is the fullness of joy. And as Paul said to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 4, he is my life. And as Pastor Ed likes to say, to live is Christ. Thank you for coming out tonight. I hope to see you back tomorrow. We'll talk about Jesus tomorrow. 
I wanted to get understand the mess so that we could understand the cleanup. All right? Pastor, 